Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to them like you did last week. Look at them, say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can borrow one of ours. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet Jesus. With Jesus. Can we get a Bible right here? And maybe there's one right over here and right here. Amen. Amen. Um, everybody's getting coffee right now. Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, turn in your Bible right here to the Gospel of John. Uh, and if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left, and you'll find the Gospel of John much faster. Um, or you can go two-thirds of, of the way through the book, and you will, um, you will find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. And so um, you'll find John chapter 9 starting in verse 1, and you can say amen when you're there. Hey, Joe, can you check my timer there? Are you updating that? Uh, Maybe so. Okay, hey, I'm going to read the Gospel of John, chapter 9, this entire chapter. I want to look at this story, uh, knowing from the first service, I'm not going to get through all the implications that... um, that I wanted to get in this passage. I even had some side notes, you know, and I didn't realize, see, it's literally on the side of my notes. Anyways, uh, I didn't realize that's why they call them that until I had to write some side notes. Uh, So look at the Gospel of John, chapter 9, starting verse 1. You can say amen when you're there. Amen. Amen. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Put an underline beside, uh, underline that, put an asterisk beside of that. Uh, one of the I am statements that John brings of the seven, some would say eight, this very powerful statement. I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, not Shalom 
Siloam, Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is him. And others said, no, he just looks like him. It's his doppelganger. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to them, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought the Pharisee, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly, who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day. Jesus is sitting around doing nothing on Tuesday and Wednesday. He's like, you know what really ticks some people off? Let's do this on the Sabbath. When Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So again, they, they said again to the, the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Asked him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Or in other words, it gives confirmation to Jesus's claim that he is God. They want to try to separate the two. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I am. And they want to make a division and say, no, no, no. Give glory to God, not this sinner. And they're talking about Jesus. But here's what we believe, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And so when we give glory to Jesus, we are giving glory to God. God. Amen. And so they want to divide that all the more supporting the claim that Jesus did indeed actually claim to be God. And so they say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, when did he, uh, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, said, I've already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become, do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answer says, why? Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, but yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it 
been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. What a statement. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered and said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and you are speaking and he is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who have become, that those who do not see may see and those who see may also become blind. Jesus said, if you, I'm losing my place here. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him say these things and said, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this viral story, this story that we've been talking about for thousands of years. Help us, give us insight into who you are and what you have for us. Let us all the more clearly see you, know you, and look more and more like you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. It's, it's passages like this that bring up some questions. And I know as much as I want to deal with the entirety of the story and, and as much time as it takes to read an entire chapter like that and, and, and try to get caught up in all of the dynamics and details of the story. What I want to convey to you this morning, probably I could have read the first couple of sentences, but I want you to see the grand context of this story, how the story doesn't stop at the miracle of this blind man. And, and yet Jesus tells us why this particular miracle happens. But I gotta be honest, when I read stories like this or when I hear other people read stories or they think about these particular stories, it brings up some particular questions. And, and it, it has a lot of implications of how we see this Passage And the question that really comes up when you read or hear a story like this, that this story begins to answer and makes it difficult, is ultimately, why is there suffering? Why do bad things happen? I mean, oftentimes we get in those moments, right? We want to know why did this happen or why did that happen? And, and ultimately, we're talking about difficult things or, or troubling things. Why do bad things happen? I, I, I want to give to you just a few reasons. The first two are not included in this story. It does not answer. But, but let me just tell you, there are a few reasons why bad things happen happen. And number one is because sometimes you make boneheaded decisions. Amen. <laughs> right? Number one, write it down. Bad things happen because you're a bonehead, right? <laughs> uh, uh, 
some of us, can we uh, uh, agree? Somebody say, oh no, or amen, right? right? Uh, we make some bad decisions. And, we, and oftentimes, it's hard for us to wrestle with it, but we can kind of identify and get over when we make some decisions and it causes trouble of our own making. When we overextend and we go into massive amounts of debt or we get into a car payment that we can't afford or, or we overextend and we live above our means or, or we're worried about this bill or that bill. Can we be honest that there are some things that we could do to remedy that? Amen? Three of you, right? Uh, right? We're going to talk about that. But, but we can look. We can steward well. Sometimes uh, our lying has caused trouble. Uh, sometimes uh, our, our deception, our manipulation, uh, stealing something, being dishonest at work, not living up to the commitments that you made, trying to, trying to scheme a little here. Dude, sometimes those boneheaded decisions are the reason why bad things happen. Amen? Amen? The second reason bad things happen is others' boneheaded decisions, right? right? Sometimes, let's just be honest, other people make bad, unwise decisions. Amen? Sometimes we, uh, our lie, we talked about this last week, is that our decisions and, the, and our, our reality, our present reality is ultra connected to our past and our future. But it doesn't make up all of that, right? Sometimes there are happenstances that happen to us that are of no fault of our own. And it's because of someone else's bad decision, right? Listen, friends, this weekend we, we remember and, and, and we pray and we memorialize this moment of, of, of what happened on September 11, 9-11. Can I tell you that 9-11 did not happen by happenstance. It was not a coincidence. People made terrible, evil decisions. We can look at that and go, go, why? Here's why. People had belief systems, and belief drives behavior, and there were terrible decisions, and there's corruption, and, there, and there's evil. People not only make bad decisions, some people make devastating evil choices. So you ask the question, why do bad things happen? If you were to think about what happened in Afghanistan, you would say people made bad decisions, unwise decisions. And we have to look at the totality of what's going on and be honest that sometimes the things that happen that are bad are my fault. And when I say my fault, don't point your finger at me. I'm talking about us collectively, my, and we're, we're all share the my, okay? And sometimes we make bad decisions, amen? amen? And then sometimes other people make bad decisions. And oftentimes, these are the things that we can kind of deal with and understand. We can wrap our head around. We look at the world and we go, why do bad things happen? And those types of things, we just can simply chalk up for, for my individual responsibility or sometimes the things that I cannot control and things that have happened to me. But it's this particular passage that begins to answer the third thing. The thing that many of us have trouble 
with? Why do things happen that's outside of their control? Why is there suffering in the world? How could a man be born blind? And notice that he's a man now, but he was a baby and a child. And he had a difficult time. And people know him. And he has a label. And he has a difficulty. He has a difficulty that actually has become to be the very thing that defines who he is. The neighbors know who he is. People pointing out, was this not the man, the beggar? His life decisions and the thing, his, what he's able to do happened to him. And this is where we get to a place where we say, man, why do bad things happen? It's this third thing that this passage begins to point to. Jesus answers the question in the second verse. They ask that question, right? Because we want to know when we look out, we go, why did that natural disaster happen? Why did this person do this? Why are they sick? Why did this happen? And maybe if we were with Jesus, we would ask him personally. And yet this is what this passage, if you were to ask him, maybe you've been in that situation. If you look to the sky, you said, why do bad things happen? happen. But we have to be able to decipher between. We have to first assess, is this my responsibility that something happened? Is it someone else's responsibility? And not just shout at the sky and say, why God? But we, when we are in those moments where it's hard to define, it's hard to answer, it's hard to wrestle with. Can I just be honest that even as a pastor, there's some things in the Bible that frustrate me. How about you? Yeah, just this side, right? Liars, all of you, right? There's just some things in there, and this is one of those things. They say, wait a second, Jesus, is it his sin or his parents' sin? They, they bring up what is culturally known that sin causes difficulty. Sin causes suffering, or maybe even sin brings a generational curse. This is the belief system. Now, what do they mean by Sin. See, sin means to simply miss the mark. When the Bible talks about sin, it's not particularly at first glance talking about some hierarchy of, of moral superiority. It's talking about a direction or an intention. The, the same way that an archer would take a bow and draw back his bow and release an arrow, and he has an intention for that arrow. He has a target. Sin, kata in the Hebrew, means to simply miss the mark, to be off, to deviate from the intended direction. So then, he, here's the problem with a life of sin. Maybe you miss the mark in a small area, but if you stretch out an arrow from me to you, maybe that's not a big deal if I'm slightly off. But if I stretch this out over a lifetime, if I stretch this out over the course of humanity, men and women giving themselves up to sin, what would the world look like if from the intended direction, the intended design, what would be the deviation? Even the word deviant is the root word of deviation, to move away from what was intended or natural design. And yet, this is what the Bible calls sin. James says it this way, when, sin, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, produces death. 
Romans 1 is going to describe a group of people who've traded the truth of God for a lie and they would rather worship created things, one another, human sexuality. They would rather worship that than the creator God. They would rather deviate from intended design and trade natural relationships for unnatural ones. This is Romans 1, to deviate from intended purposes. And it says that they've accepted the due penalty for their sin in their their body. The actual sin can cause things to happen to me. That's why they quickly go. And so the question is, does sin cause problems? Yes. Does, Does sin and deviation from intended design cause bad things? Yes, but what is the purpose of this? That's why they ask the question, is it this man's sin or is it his parents? And this is the frustrating part because I can look at my life and go, man, that was my fault. This was my sin. God, forgive me of my sin. Take away my past. Put me firmly in the present as we talked about last week and give me hope for the future. But yet it's really difficult when Jesus answers this way. Look at verse 2. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wait, what? 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 What What do you mean? Isn't that frustrating for you? That's, That's difficult for me to hear. What do you mean it wasn't my fault or someone else's fault? What do you mean you're trying to work something out in me. Who are you to work out things in me? There's an answer to that question. But let's be honest, that, that's the frustration, right? What are you saying? God, what are you doing? Why this? Why me? Why my family? Why this moment? Why, why is this happening? And, and when we get the answer, maybe to put on display the glory of God. And here, here's what we have to do is those who follow Jesus, we, we have to realize that God is writing a story. So we wrote, we read the entire the chapter because it doesn't stop with the healing. See, what can happen is, is you can miss the story that God is writing. And can I just tell you that the story that God is writing is bigger than the page you're living on? But man, some pages are more difficult than others. Amen? And sometimes we get stuck on the page. We can't see the story. We don't see from God's perspective. We see from our own and we see our difficulty. We see our pain. But can I tell you that your pain is not permanent? But God uses it for purpose if you allow him to. I think it's interesting that he picked this one particular man. One man that actually is very articulate later on. I mean, can you imagine the answers that he gives? I mean, he preaches a full sermon. It's, it's as if Jesus knows exactly who this man is before he was ever born. 
and that this particular story would reverberate and go viral for thousands of years. And he somehow has a glimpse. He even says, you don't realize how big this story is? From the beginning of the world, no one has ever heard of someone being healed who was born blind. This is, this is something radical. And can I be honest, like growing up, and how I was kind of looked at the scriptures and sermon. I've heard so many sermons. How many of you heard a sermon on this passage before? God healing a blind man. Like, amen. Like, I've, I've heard this dozens of times. And can I just be honest? Like, I was raised in, uh, let, me, let me, like, some kooky charismatics churches growing up. How about you? Amen. Right? Like, come on, somebody. Amen. I see, I see that hand, right? Uh, right? Like, can I have, let me just clarify. I believe God speaks. I believe God heals. I believe God does miraculous things for his glory and our good. Amen? How many of you believe that? Right? But I, I grew up in some kooky stuff, man. And, and, and let me just get there in those settings, there's some spooks and there's some kooks. And there's a difference. Okay? Let me, let me, let me just tell you. Okay? All right. Let me define it for you. Spooky is like, that was weird, but I think there's something to that. <laughs> right? You ever met those people? Like, how did she know that? <laughs> Amen. Right? Right? Like, the, God is real. He is powerful. And he sometimes amazes us. And, and yet it's the personality that gets connected to it. See, see, spooky can turn kooky when we get involved. And, and some of those kooky people are like people on television that look like they lost a paintball gun war, right? Like, and they ask you for anointed dollar bills. Like th those types, those, amen. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, right? And, and, and the, those, are, the, those are kooks friends. And, and, and here's, here's sometimes what happens is when we get so into us, we begin to see and think that the Bible is a story about you. And it's not. <laughs> Amen. Story, story's not about you. I, we want to help you out with the answer to this question. We wrote it on the wall. It's all about Jesus. And so, so here, here's, here's a, a little a helpful tip in how to read the Bible. So then it's not a story about, about you, but is it a story to you? Here's what it means. The Bible is not a manual for life. All the baby boomers are like, say what? <laughs> wait, 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 like, right, I've heard, like, God, I wish there was a book for life. And like, yeah, but he's given us one. It's the Bible and 66 books. And then you read it like a normal book. So you start in the beginning and you're good until sacrifice and the Abraham story. And then you lose cabin pressure when you're at the book of Leviticus. How about you, right? Like, it's like you hand someone a book, here, read the Bible. And they're like, I'm not reading that. You know what I mean? No, anybody done that before, right? So, so here, here's, here's the helpful part is it's not a manual for life. It is a message, friend. It's a, it's a letter to you, friend. It is not a man. It's an announcement. It, 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 it's, it's the soldier nailing the scroll to the door with an announcement that there is a king. There's a new king and he is coming and he is 
here. It's an announcement. That's why we call it gospel, evangelion in the Greek. It means good news. Those who carry, announce the trumpet. There is a new king. This is now. So it's not a manual. Here's the problem. And here's how I was around. When you read stuff like this, because here's the natural reaction, you go, bad things happen. There's some things outside of my control. So how do I stop bad things from happening? How, how do I get a miracle? How, how do people not get sick? How, how do I see God change our situation? And so then what happens if you read it like a manual, you'll go outside and spit in the dirt and think you can make mud uh, cause healing for people, right? I'm sure there's a lot of people have done this. Uh, and if, if that happened to you, I, I'm so sorry. And we have counseling available, right? Like, like, see what happened. And I've heard, I've heard even in the, in, in these movements, people say, here's why Jesus healed this man this particular way, because he didn't want us to create a method. So he didn't heal any blind person the same way twice. Anybody ever heard that before? We were discussing on how many, I've heard that so many times in my life because we're so looking for a miracle. We're so looking for a manual that we try to form equations and follow what Jesus did. And so then Jesus doesn't do these miracles the same way twice so that you don't try to repeat them. And if I read it that way, I'll actually miss what Jesus is screaming to the world. What do you mean, Pastor Sam? Well, I can't help but I can't help but see this. And when you read the Bible as a story about Jesus and not a manual for your life, you'll see things that you didn't see at first because you're focused on you and the miracle. And you'll realize that oftentimes there's a difference between a miracle and a sign and a wonder. What, what do you mean, Pastor Sam? Well, all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon, all right? Uh, somebody, I'm from Kentucky, so that's the only way I know how to explain. Uh, right, so, uh, all right, all right, all right. Like, did he just, yeah, I did. Uh, so, uh, all, all signs and wonders are miracles, but not all miracles are a sign and a wonder. So we practiced this once before. A sign does want what? I'm giving you a hint. <laughs> Quick. And uh, a sign points to something. A wonder makes you see something. And see, what happens is if we're always looking for miracles, maybe we'll miss what God is trying to point to or reveal to us. Are you with me? So, so here's, here's the thing I think we miss because here's, here's what's happening. How many of you like cringe when you're like, he, he did what? He spit in the dirt, right? Like he spit in the dirt and made mud. And then, oh no, he put the mud on his eyes, like some of you, if this was you and you're blind, you're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, right? Like he can't see, but he hears, he's like, no, no, what, what, what did, wait a second, what did he just do? Right? Jesus is like, don't tell him. <laughs> like, what, what, what was that? Like, how did you get that mud? It's, there's been a drought, right? Like, <laughs> So you'd be like, no, I'm good. And, and see, it's so fantastic that sometimes we get focused on the saliva and we miss the dirt. And where else do I see God using dirt? I know there's a story in Genesis 2 that says God made 
man from the dust of the ground. Like, we're talking about, like, man, I don't know, why, why do we not miss that what Jesus is saying is, I make things. I actually made everything. See, friends, you make me, you think you're artistic, some of you millennials, get out of here. Right? You, don't, you don't make nothing, you rearrange stuff, right? Like, you don't make anything, you don't make anything. You're creative because there's a creator. You're working with raw materials, friends. You have nothing. Everything has been given to you. And Jesus is screaming that I made you. Romans 9 is going to refer to Jesus as the potter and we are the clay. And literally he makes clay from the dust and puts it on the man's eyes. Adam, literally Adam means dirt man. And yet Jesus makes this statement right before this, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He's going to say in this moment, I am the light of the world. John is screaming to us this message that he's trying to convey to us that he is creator and we are his creation. And he makes beautiful things out of the dust, friends. So then how can the potter say to the, how can the clay say to the potter, I have no need for thee? See, we are created beings. We are created in the image of God. We are made for intention. That's the whole idea is that to use something in a way it was never intended to be used is deviant. To veer off from the creator's design and intention is the very definition of sin. Why? Because he is creator and he has designed you. He has pushed you forward like an arrow that has an intended target. And when we move off of his creative design, we are living in a life of sin. And it will be a life of our own making because we've given the finger to God and we've said our way is better than your way. Way. Who could say, as a created being, who could say to their creator that I know more about what I should be used for than you do? And he says, oh, really? It's the story of Job. If you've ever read the fantastic story of Job, Job finally gets frustrated with, and he puffs out his chest, and he begins to give God a piece of his mind like you do sometimes. God booms back and says, where were you when I made this? Did I consult with you, Job? Did I need your opinion on where I should hang the moon, where I would put the stars, how far the ocean would come, where the lands would stop? You wise little man. Did I consult with you? And then for good measure, he just like brag. I love it. He brags about a horse, right? He's like, yeah, I made that. Right? You ever, you ever walked up on a horse like, this is a majestic creature, right? Who did And God's like, yeah, made it. No point. <laughs> right? Just did it to go, wow. Amen. How many horse people? Yeah, come on. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right. Like, it's made for you to ride on. That's it. Right? No, no purpose beyond that for you to stare out and go, whoa, that's a creature. And God like puffs out his chest, says the same thing. Yeah, I designed that. Didn't ask your opinion. Didn't go, hey, where do you think this should go? How big should this be? Right? Like he does not say anything. 
<clears throat> to Job that ask for his opinion. But how often do we continually give as if we're saying, you know, I, I got some ideas, right, for my life. <laughs> some things I'd like you and I to discuss, right? Some, a, I, have a, I have a proposal for you. He's like, you don't say. Remember the last time you got your way? You ever got your way and you're like, why did you guys let me do that, <laughs> right? Well, you're, you're, you're like, man, I, I, you said you wanted that. And yet, how could the, create, the creation say to the creator, we get to decide what we're for? See, unless I see him in this moment when he says that the works of God might be displayed to him, like, who are you? And he bends down in the dirt and he says, I'm the creator. You know what happens when a potter needs to fix something? He grabs some more clay. He literally gives him new eyes. He literally shows he has power over creation and even, even the human natural body. If you can say to Jesus, Jesus, I, I give you my future, then you can give him yourself, your whole self. Even your physical body. Why? Because he's creator and he's writing a story and he uses this miracle, this one miracle, to write a big story. But see, what happens is, is I want to repeat the story or I don't want this difficult page. I want to remove the pain of the page. And if we're not careful will miss the part that God has called us to play. See, it's his story that he's writing, but we have a part. It's his story, our part. And so the question when we read this passage is not how do I heal blind people or not how do I get a miracle, but what we should be asking after you hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. He is illuminating something. He brings into perspective all things. The scriptures will say the word of God, John will call him the word of God, is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. And I've always thought of that that way, that God illuminates a few steps at a time, yet he gives us the overall direction off in the distance. He's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Instead of asking the question when we're in a difficult moment, on a difficult page, instead of how do I get off this page, Jesus, what are you trying to show me? And what are you trying to show others through this page? And he picks this one man, and this man is going to preach a sermon to those around him he doesn't heal everyone. He did all kinds of miracles. We're going to talk about Lazarus in a couple weeks. God raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus is still not walking around today, friend. See, James says life is a mist. It's here and it's gone. It is a moment. See, your pain is not permanent, but the part he longs for you to play is that your, your pain would be turned to purpose in order that you may become a message to those around you. 
That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. What is he showing me? See, it's hard to deal with sometimes. It's hard to deal with. God, there are some things that are my fault, but then there there are some things that are out of my control. How do you take the, 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 the difficult things and how do you use the good things and the difficult things together? The only way I can explain that is the existence of a maple glazed bacon donut. You know what I'm saying? You ever walked into God's country and you're like, what is that, sir? You should be arrested for this, right? Who would, do, who, would do, who would do that? You remember the first time you heard someone say they went to God's country and got a maple glazed bacon donut? You're like, say what? Right? That is a deviation, right? That, that is not, that should never have been created, right? Like, I don't understand, but then, but then you bite into it, right? You bite into it. Or for my southern friends, chicken and waffles. You know, it just doesn't make sense, right? And, and then you bite into it, you're like, man, this is, this is salty. This is sweet. So the only way I, I begin to be able to say that is God takes the salty and the sweet, and somehow I refer to this to the sweet and salty sovereignty of God. Romans 8 says, He's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Why did this happen? That the works of God may be put on display. That the workmanship, the art, see, the art points to the artist, friends. It is the glory, the renouncement looks of who made this who, who, who did this? Who is the artist? I have to know their name. Who could make, who could imagine such a thing? Yet the Bible says that no eye has seen, no ears heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. The work of art that God is trying to put on display through your life may be difficult, friends, but I'm telling you it will be worth it. But you have to trust him. You have to trust that he is a good father. He is a good creator who has good intention for his creation. See, the reality is, is all the good things in my life are as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in my life. All the other stuff, that was me. What he has intended. Jesus even says, those of you who are wicked know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more does your heavenly father who will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask, this comforter, this leader, this guider who woos me and directs me and guides me towards my intended purpose so then I can trust him to endure the page that I'm living on. He's a good father. See, that's the only way that we can, in our suffering, trust him. James will say this, count it joy. What? 
Count it joy because you don't know how good this story is going to be. See, if you were to ask someone who's been following Jesus for a long time, a man of faith, a woman of, of renown, you'd say, what made you into who you are? It even happens in the secular world, in the business world, people who are successful. Oftentimes, it's the difficult things that define them. If you were to say, what made you into who you are, they're going to tell you not about a good time, they'll tell you about a bad. They'll say, it was that moment. It was when we went through that in our marriage. It's when that happened with our kids. It's when we lost that one. Those things defined us. Because the story God is writing is bigger than the page we're living on. See, it's our suffering that shapes us like a potter to the clay. Like him making mud and shaping things out of our lives. He's the potter, we're the clay. It's our suffering that shapes us. It's his suffering that saves us. See, it's his suffering that lets us know that the end will be worth it. Although weeping may come through the night, joy comes in the morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to tell you a story. And uh, I've had this in my notes for a few weeks. And uh, I never have enough time to tell your story. And I'm almost out of time, and uh, I didn't get to the side notes. But as a pastor, I've experienced some things I can't explain over the years. And one of them is this family that's sitting right here, my friend Sarah over here. And I told their story in first service, and I said, they lie, we're missing a few of the kids today. I know they're traveling. Um, See, if we're always looking for the miracle, we'll miss the message. And the message is the miracle. What he's saying to the world through our suffering through the story that he's writing. I told you a story about a man named Bob Gabriel um, over the summer. A man I went to go visit in the hospital and pray for him, and and I was there to pray for a miracle. And on that particular day, Tyler and I decided we weren't leaving today until we saw him. And many of you know the story. They, They stopped us at the door and wouldn't let us in. And and I'm calling Sarah and like, hey, they're not going to let us in. And, and the wisdom of Solomon, Sarah, says, well, if they won't let you up here, how about we just bring him down there? And uh, I'm literally talking to the administration and, and uh, they're finally going to let me up. And I was like, well, you're going to let me up, but I think they're bringing him down here. And they're like, no, we're not going to let that happen. And as she says that, the breezeway doors open up and I saw doves and there were choirs and there was Bob. <laughs> I pride myself on not embellishing, but uh, that was a little bit. Uh, um, And we prayed for him. Uh, And then I traveled over the summer to Kentucky, and I got word that 
Bob got worse and he passed away while I was in Kentucky. And I was so sad because I wasn't able to be with his family whenever uh, they were in a difficult time. And I was supposed to fly back from Kentucky and I was immediately supposed to go to Dallas to this seminar I'd been invited to by this famous scientist because of someone in our church and this C.S. Lewis Fellows program I was supposed to go to and, and uh, it's top scientists, young scientists and, and they're talking about uh, creationism and science today and they, they leave a few spots for us lowly pastors and they invited me to go and, but Sarah told me that Bob's memorial service was going to be the day I was supposed to fly out. And I knew I'd already missed a time to be a pastor with them. And I just felt like the pastoral thing to do was to say no to that. And I had to call and say, hey, I can't make it. I, I got some things I, I need to be a part of. And, and so when I told Sarah, hey, I'll, I'll see you there, she was surprised. She, she said, wait, wait a second. I thought you were going to be gone. I was like, I am. I'm going to be there. And I didn't know that she would ask me to speak. And she said, we'd love to have you speak. And I'll change. And, 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 and I was so honored by that. And then I got to spend uh, the day before a few hours in the living room. And I talked about this. I can tell you that that memorial service um, was so impactful for me. It was, it, it was one of those moments where I felt like uh, Jesus did something very special and it wasn't me, it was him. And we walked away and Joe and I was like, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I could do that again. I don't, I don't know what just happened. I can't articulate what just happened, but God spoke. And, and here's what the message that was written through this family. They have seven children and all seven of, seven of them love Jesus. Last week at the end of the service, they all gathered around right here and we talked about and they brought up the memorial service. They brought up the things. The, your brothers texted me like, I'm so mad they didn't record it. It was like, man, it was just supposed to be that moment. But here's, here's what I said, and here's, here's the story that God's written through this family. Not just the hospital moment where the, and I could say this because she's not online, right? the administrator of the hospital now attends the online campus every Sunday at 9 a.m. because of that moment. Every Sunday, she's watching 9 a.m. Then in that room full of people, and this morning when I told this story, there was a couple sitting right here. I told their story to you all at your house the day before about how they lost their daughter. Another couple I told you about they used to sit on front rows. They text me in between service. They moved and they said, we're glad to give up the front row. I needed to hear that today. They lost their daughter. And here's something, here's something that I've seen God do time and time again. And I said to a room full of people, I said, maybe you think that we missed a miracle. You knew this family was believing God for his healing. You believed that God was going to heal him and frustrate and say, why God? See, God's writing a big story. I said to that room, I said, here's the thing. You see these children who got up on stage 
from teenagers to in their 20s, seven of them, and, and they're, they're singing praises to God and honoring their father's faithfulness? I've seen people who've lost their dad in his 80s, and they are a train wreck. And you're telling me that seven children, young, lose their dad too soon, and they're not lo losing it? They're laughing and see, can I tell you, friends, if you've been in moments like that, you ever been to a service like that, you ever sat with people who are hurting and lost someone, that's not natural. It's supernatural. It's a miracle. It's a sign and it's a wonder. And God's going to use your story. He's already using that story. I said to you guys last week, I mean, can you imagine you guys laughed at it and go, man, all of you love Jesus. What else did your dad have to do? You kidding me? I know pastors that long for their children to come to know Jesus. And here's a faithful man, loved his wife, loved his kids, worked hard, told you Jesus stories every day. And even though it's difficult, the page is tough, Man, the story's good. It's grand. And God's going to give you strength to endure the page. And he's writing a testament to all these people. They're going to walk out of here today, and they're going to talk about your story. You know, that's not normal. No, it's not, friend. It's supernatural. It's a miracle. I have a board member. His name's Don Chan. Maybe you know him. He's usually in a, a wheelchair, and he has a, a dog with him all the time, Tyus. And he's been here long before I got here. And we were talking about suffering in our not-so-small group recently. And he said, you know what, I, I just want to say this. Like, I used to have at those spooky, kooky churches, people tell me that God would not get glory if I didn't get out of this chair. He's been, had this illness since he was born. And he said, I, he, he shook my hand in the lobby, and he said, I've been waiting for you to get to this passage. And here's the thing, that day it gripped me. I said, how could, we, we think that the miraculous and the comfort and the change towards good, and we think that the story has, has to be without pain in order for it to give glory to God. But how could suffering well not point to the person of Jesus? who like a lamb led to the slaughter, did not even open his mouth. He used the sweet things and the difficult things that now we could look at this beautiful, bloody cross. So he makes beautiful things out of the dirt. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, Jesus, I can't even begin to explain because I ask myself when I sit with those who are hurting, how did they do it? And then you make the scriptures come to life. I've seen with multiple families now, peace that passes all 
understanding. I can't explain it to you. And I pray that when we get on difficult pages, we trust the author and the finisher of our faith, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. You are creator and you write a good story. So give us peace to endure the page that we're living on. Whether rich, whether poor, whether in sickness or in health, I'm persuaded that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Give us strength, Lord Jesus. Help us to see our part in your story for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?